0: Good morning, Bloopford Church. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. Okay. All right, all right. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we can jump in. God's Word. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the grace that you showered over us today. And even when we don't consider it grace, God, I pray we would see it that. Lord, we have eyes to see the beauty. of your creation today. God, we have breath in our lungs. God, we have energy to move. We have health in our bodies. God, all these things we can sit and think through about what you have blessed us with today. We can go on and on and on and praise you for the many ways that you have extended grace to us because we don't deserve it. Uh, And so God, as we come here, Church, I pray this is out of the overflow of our gratitude to you for what you have done for us throughout the week that we say to you. And so receive our praise. God, right now, as we sit under your word, your word is what gives us life. Your word is what gives us strength. Your word is what power us to live this life that you have called us to live that we cannot do on our own. Amen. And so guide us with your word. Transform us with your word. Conform us to the likeness of Jesus with your word. So that when we walk away from seeing the beauty of you Jesus in your word, where we would be transformed to live this life the bring you. So we pray all this in you. Amen. 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 Well, good morning guys. Um, my name is Carly. Um, I get the privilege of serving with my brother. The Heidi as one of the pastors here. And uh, so we are continuing uh, our series in the book of Revelation. And today we're going to be in Revelation chapter three. You just heard. And so we're continuing this series on the book of revelation. We're looking at a series of letters written to God's church. And so there are seven letters written to seven different churches where jesus is speaking to his church to evaluate their spiritual condition and to evaluate the nature of his relationship with his people and remember um, the bible tells us that the church is jesus's bride. and so this is a metaphor that describes the intimate relationship that jesus has with his people and so, because we're not just mindless, affectionless robots, um, we have this genuine relationship with Jesus, and that's why the Bible gives us that metaphor that we are the bride of Christ. And so, as we read this, read this letter, think of this as a letter from a husband to his bride, right, a letter from a husband to his bride, and the message that this husband has to give to his bride is what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Right? And so as we read this, this is Jesus communicating to his bride and pretty much what he is saying is we need to define this relationship that we're in. What are we doing? Define the relationship. And some of you guys know exactly what I mean by that, right? Some of you guys probably need to do that right now, some of the people that you're sitting next to, right? Define the relationship, right? That's that, when you have that ambiguous relationship where you don't really know like, where you stand with someone, like you don't know what the status is, right? You've been chilling with the person for a very long time, talking with them on the phone for a long time, and you're like, yo, like what are we? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? You come over to my house and you chill and watch Netflix. Right? But then like all this time, we're hanging out. We're spending time together. Like I don't know the status of our relationship. What are we doing? Is this relationship going anywhere meaningful? What is the progress of this relationship? What are we doing? And so as we read this letter, We see this is what Jesus is asking his church. Let's define this relationship. October 26, 2008, um, I had to do that with my wife, right? We had been friends for a very long time and um, I never had told her my intentions. And so one day she called me and she said, hey Carly, I can't talk to you. I'm like, why not? And she's like, you're taking too much of my time away from Jesus. I'm like, what are you talking about, right? And so she's like, yeah, I can't talk to you right now because I just need to focus on my relationship with Jesus. And so this is gonna be the last time we talk. And I'm like, "Yo," you know, and so I'm like, Jesus, we gotta talk. And so I was like, listen, let me get off the phone with you. Chill, don't make any rash decisions. Let me call you back, right? And so I go my prayer closet, I had one in college right, and so I go and I'm like praying to God, I'm like, God I did not reveal to this girl my intentions and I don't know what to do and so I distinctly heard the Lord say to me Carly that's your wife and I'm like, amen, I'm done All right? so I finished praying and then so I called Jess up and I wasn't thinking, I was like eager I'm like, hey listen God told me, you're my wife. And mind you, we weren't dating. We were just friends, right? And so guys, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Because it works for me, but I can't guarantee you what not do And girls, if so a guy does that to you, run. Right? Like a Christian stalker. Right? So I called her. I'm like, no. God told me, you're my wife. And I'm like trembling as I'm saying this. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to hang up now. And she's like, Harley. Chill. Let's talk she's like, okay, we got to pray about this, you know? Um, I don't know, God said this to you, right? I don't know what he's saying to me. I'm like, well, I told him he spoke, you know? But we decided to pray. And we took three months not talking to each other and prayed and fast. So from October 26th, we're about to celebrate this, you know, day, um, to February 9th. And we got back together and then the Lord revealed to her that we could progress in this relationship and make it more meaningful and start courting. You guys don't know what that means, is dating with the intention of being married, like Christian, you know, Christianese, right? And so we decided to court one another. And so um, when we had decided to do that, I sent her this letter or this card, right? Um, Pretty cheesy, now that I look at it. Um, and so in the front, it says, I think about you in the morning. I think about you all day. I think about you all night. Right? But in the card, it says, dear grace. And so this is what I call her Because I was like, oh, you're God's grace to me. Right? I said, dear grace, how did we get here? How did we get here? Really, I don't know what here is, but it's the best because you are here with me. Here makes me happy. This is <laughs> Here makes me happy. Here makes me smile. Here sometimes I have me saying things and doing things that I have no idea what I'm doing and wondering, Carly, what's wrong with you? Then I would answer myself and say, Self, there's nothing wrong with being here. Here is just beautiful and you're not used to beautiful. I had game. <laughs> so, and then continue. and says now I must admit I really wish we were there. Now what there is, I don't really know. I'm assuming, well, I'm certain it's where we will be after this journey is complete. But however long, no matter the distance to travel to get there, as long as I know we are walking together, this journey. There is gonna be fun. If here is where we are now, that's great. But man, I am so looking forward to when we get there. But you will have to forgive me if I seem annoying by asking, are we there yet? Right? Um, (laughs) That's pretty cheesy. (laughs) I told my wife I would embarrass her today, uh, so there you go. Uh, But, This was my message to Jess at the time. Um, And this was my letter to her to define the status of our relationship. This was a meaningful relationship to me. And we were on a journey together to ultimately my hopes at the time was to get married. Um, and so we were on a journey somewhere meaningful. And so we see these letters and the book of Revelation to these churches are a message from a husband to his bride, asking his bride, man, what are we doing? What are we doing? What is this? Are we in a meaningful relationship? We're spending time together? Is it meaningful? You come to my house, to my church, and spend time with me, but is it meaningful, right? You sing praises to me, but is it meaningful? Are we going somewhere? What is the status and the progress of our relationship? And we see this letter to the church of Sardis. He says, and I know this in red, but I'm gonna read it again. But he says, he who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it, repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names and stars, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed dust in white garment, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and the angels. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And this is a letter to a real church, to a real congregation, specifically tailored to this church, Sardis, to address their spiritual condition and the spiritual health. Of the people in this church. Was this a healthy church? Was this a healthy church? Was this church, was this a church that had a meaningful relationship with God and was on mission with God? And so this letter was a progress report of that church. In school, I hated getting progress reports, right? I never turned them in. I used to forge my parents' signature on them because I never wanted my parents to know. How I was doing in school. Right? It's one thing to get a progress report about class, how you're doing in class, but it's another to get a health report. Right? To tell you whether you're living or you're dying, because that's not something that you want to hide or ignore. Right? So this is a health report of his people. Sardis was a dying church. In fact, Sardis was a dead church. And this is what John says in verse 1. You are dead. You're dead. But Sardis, they were living off of other people's thought of them. Or what people said about them. They were determining their health, the health of their relationship with God, based on other people's opinion. And so people saw the external and thought, man, Sardis must be a healthy church. Because we're seeing amazing services happening at Sardis, right? And we're seeing all the seats are filled at Sardis and people are leaving excited. Man, Sardis must be a healthy church. And so here's the thing. I'm sure Sardis had some things going on, but probably before people came, they had to clean it up, right? And this is what God is trying to paint the picture of. What we're looking at is a cleaned up version of Sardis. Before people came, they had to quickly brush things in the closet, dirty clothes in the closet, dirty dishes under the bed, right? Because what Sardis was trying to do, they were trying to look presentable. Let's clean up and make things look presentable. When Jesus says to Sardis, I can see through the external, I can see through this well-put presentation. I can smell the dirty clothes and the dirty dishes under the couch, right? Here's the thing. We all know we only allow people to see our best. We all know that. We only allow people to see our best. Someone asks you, hey, Carly, how are you doing? Ah, I'm blessed and highly favored. But then deep down inside, I'm dying. I come to church. I step foot in the parking lot. I walk through the doors of the church, and I'm smiling and praising God. But deep down inside, crying. We all know we only want people to see our best. Probably the best thing that happened the past two years because of the pandemic is that we've been allowed to wear a mask. We've been allowed to wear masks to hide, hide our true selves and no one has to know who we really are. Right? And so Jesus is saying to start us, don't do that. Like, don't do that. I want the real you. I want authenticity. I'm inviting you to a real relationship with me and don't fake it. I'm inviting you to come to me with all of your mess, with all your dirty dishes, with all your dirty clothes. Come to me and you don't have to fake it. I don't want the fixed version of you. I want the real you. And so Sardis was basing the health of their relationship with Jesus based on reputation, but reputation does not give us validation in God's economy. And what I mean by that is that God doesn't care what other people think about you. God really doesn't. The only thing that matters to God is what Jesus thinks about you and what Jesus says about you. And so Jesus says to Sardis, listen, I know your deeds. I know your works. We see that in verse one. I know your works. That speaks to the omniscience of Jesus. Listen, Jesus is intimately aware of all of our ways. There's nothing about our lives that Jesus doesn't know and that Jesus is not in. And so we see this is a comforting thing. But then at the same time, it's a very terrifying thing that Jesus is omniscient and he knows us intimately. And so John says, Jesus holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars in the palm of his hands. And pretty much this is a description of Jesus being omniscient. And this is an attribute that he shares with God where it describes his infinite awareness and understanding of everything that goes on in this world and everything that goes on in our lives. And he holds all those things in the palm of his hands. Right? So it's incredibly encouraging when you think about that, that our lives is in Jesus' hands. Our lives are so precious that Jesus cradles it in the palm of his hand. so because Jesus is omniscient, he has perfect knowledge of who we are and he loves us. Right? And so he knows all of our thoughts, all of our intention, and he still loves us. He knows what we did last night, he knows what we're planning on doing tomorrow, and he still loves us. And he died to forgive us 2,000 years ago, even for the sins that we would commit five years from now. He knows, because Jesus is omniscient. He has perfect knowledge of what we need. And so I don't know what you came in today struggling and asking and begging and wanting from jesus jesus knows all of that he has perfect knowledge of what we need every single day and so we don't have to be afraid to come to him with those needs you don't have to let today cause you to have anxiety or today cause you to fear or panic because today you can rest in his hands because he is an omniscient provider And because of his omniscience that should give you peace because jesus is omniscient he assures our future he's fully aware of everything that may occur in our lives and so there's nothing that's a surprise to god and nothing could happen to us unless he allows it he is fully aware of our future and he assures it and because he's good we can trust our futures in his hands, because he has a better future for us than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Because he's omniscient, He can assure your future. And so Jesus knows all the big things that you're excited about, and then all the small things that weighs you down. Right? He knows everything about us that we are very proud of, and then he knows everything about us that we would be mortified if anyone to find out, right? And so, he still invites you, he still invites me to come. Jesus' omniscient, omniscience should bring us great comfort, but then at the same time, it's pretty scary to know that Jesus knows everything about us, right? Jesus knows you more than you know yourself. And this is what David said in Psalms 139, verse 1 through 4. Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways before a word comes off the tip of my tongue. Lord, you know it all. So he knows our heart even when we disguise our motives to others Jesus knows it all and so that's why there's no such thing to Jesus as a secret sin because nothing is hidden from his sight and that's why one day we all will have to give an account for every single thing that we have done because he is omniscient and he knows us too well and so to the church of Sardis he says I know you I know you. And I'm not basing it on what other people have said about you. I'm not basing it on reputation. I know you because all of your ways are before me. You have a reputation of being alive. Yes, people are thinking that we are relationship goals, but the reality is this relationship is dead. This relationship is dead. The reality is you're dead. This relationship is just a beautiful corpse. Put together very well on the external but inside it's lifeless and so now here's the thing there's a difference between being dead and being dry right many of us have had seasons of dryness right seasons where we feel like we're not connecting with god and those seasons where we feel like we're not connecting with god that bothers us, right, it bothers us, We may feel like we're far from God, your devotional life, you're not connected with God, you're reading your Bible or praying, all that has either been reduced to some type of ritual or routine or ceased to exist, but the thing is, it bothers us, right, you have a relationship with God, but you have lost the sense of I'm in love with God. then it bothers us right and so you no longer get excited right when you're dry sometimes you no longer get excited about the things of god you're not motivated about serving god or whether in the church or anywhere else but the thing is it bothers you seasons of spiritual dryness are something that we all will go through but when we go through these seasons of dryness the work of the Holy Spirit living inside of us who are alive—if we are alive—the work of the Holy Spirit is to bother you, is to convict you, to make you feel torn because we are not where we're supposed to be, to cause us to grieve, to cause us to have sorrow, and this is why David said in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I tried to hide my adultery, and when I tried to hide my sin, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from groaning all day long. For day and night, your hands, Lord, was heavy, heavy on me, weighed me down. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. The work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who are alive is to break our hearts when we step outside of our relationship with God. If I I step outside of my relationship with my wife, it should break my heart. It should bother me. But if it don't, my heart is cold. My heart is cold towards my wife. My heart is dead. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bother us. A heart that's alive, though it's dry, though it's dry, a heart that's alive, even though it's dry, it still feels. It still feels. Amen. It will sense the overwhelming, convicting power of the Holy Spirit and cause us to have a desire for a renewed affection, to not want to be separated from God. Right? I want to come home, the prodigal sunset. Amen. Give me a new heart. Create in me a new heart, David said. Don't hide your face from me. I want a renewed affection. Fix what's wrong. The cry of a heart that's alive, even though it's dry, wants God to renew their affection. However, a dead heart doesn't feel. A dead heart doesn't feel. A dead person doesn't feel anything, right? You can scream at a dead body. Yo, you're dead! That dead body's not going to move. not going to move. Dead people don't do anything, which means they are not going to change, and they will never see the need to change, to fix what is wrong, because they don't see it, they can't feel it, they don't know it, they don't want it because they're dead. And so what's interesting as you read this letter to Sardis, you will see that nothing was bothering the faith of this church. They were doing nothing. They were dead. Jesus doesn't mention persecution because they were being persecuted for their faith because they were not engaging in the culture. They weren't opposing the culture and so they weren't opposing any type of sin. Nothing. This church was silent, and we know a church that is silent in the midst of evil is no church at right? And so Blueprint, I was thinking about this: if God was to write a letter to Blueprint and say, "Man, if I were to shut the doors of this church, would this community fill your absence? Will it make a difference?" And I hope the answer. Is that yes? I hope the answer is yes, because we're alive. We have made a difference. This community would feel the And so there's a saying that goes, the devil does not bother those he considered his friends. Won't bother you. The devil does not bother those who he considered his friends. So if you're not resisting him, if you're not pursuing godliness, there will be no fight for holiness in your life and you will be your worst enemy. And the devil does not have to waste time trying to destroy you because you're doing the work for him. And so, if you are silent about sin in your life, you're not going to want to fight for holiness in your life. And you will become your worst enemy. but if you are pursuing godliness there will be a fight there will be a cry and you won't want to stay silent and you won't want to keep sin hidden you will call out to God for his grace and so I just want to say this to some of you who may be here right now who probably have been fighting fighting certain sins in your life be encouraged. The fight that, the fact that there's a fight in you, that means you have the Spirit of God in you and you are still alive, and you are not defeated. Be encouraged. But if there was no fight in you, then probably the Spirit of God is not in you. And so be encouraged, even if you feel like this is a winless battle. But the fact that you are still fighting proves that the Spirit of God is still there. And so we see this in Romans chapter 7 where Paul is talking about this inner fight, internal fight that's in him, this war that's inside of him where he says, there are things that I desire to do. It's in me. There's some good things that I want to do. It's in me. But the ability to do it, those things I don't want to do. And then I keep fighting myself doing it, and I keep fighting myself doing the things that I don't want to do, for in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in me, in my parts, in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And then he cries out to God, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin but praise to Jesus, I'm not done. There is a war. There is a war that's happening in our lives if we're pursuing godliness. But if we're not, then that means we're dead. Now, the difference between being dead and being alive is delight over duty. What does that mean? Delight over duty. When you first placed your faith in Jesus, was it out of delight or duty. Some of us are Christians because our parents are Christians. And as a child, you were raised in a Christian home. Your parents brought you to church. They read the Bible with you. They prayed with you. They raised you with good morals. And so because of all that, you became a Christian. We became a Christian. But you were only borrowing your parents' faith. Or maybe in college, you hung around a lot of Christians and you became a Christian, but you were barring your college friend's faith. You've made Christianity your own. However, it was out of duty, not delight. Or is attending church or reading the Bible, praying, giving to the work of God's work, being in community, sharing your faith, Is all that out of duty or delight? Those who are alive are excited about these things because they are passionate about the mission of God. Those who are dead see it as duty, not delight. Like I love hanging out with my family. I love hanging out with my wife. Yesterday we went to Juicy Crab and it was a date night, right, I love hanging out with her, watching Netflix, walking around, holding hands, all these. I love hanging out with my kids every day. We try to do some things together. We pray. We have those those things I love. But here's the thing. I can do all those things. I can do all those things and it would be meaningful to me because it's out of my heart and my desire to be with them or I can do all those things and it could be a burden. Right? It could be a burden. She has to drag me out the house to go to Juicy Ground. Right? She has to drag me to spend time with her. She has to nag me to hold her hands. And I'm dragging myself to spend time with my kids. I can do it out of duty or I can do it out of delight. Here's the question. How's your affection? How's your affection for Jesus? Are you dragging yourself to spend time with Jesus? Are you dragging yourself to come to church and to be with them? Are you dragging yourself to spend time with them in prayer? Right? Are you serving him out of duty or the like? Do you view serving God, his church, his people, something that you have to do or something that you get to do? Right? Is it meaningful to you? Is is it a burden or is it a gift? And so this is why in verse 2 and 3, now Jesus says to Sardis, Sardis, wake up. Wake up. Let's be real. Stop dreaming. Stop living in the pseudo-fantasy world that you and I have something deep. Just wake up. When in reality, it's lifeless. It's dead. Stop dreaming that we have a relationship. Wake up. Until we are honest with ourselves and we are not living in pretense, we will never have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And at the same time, Jesus is saying, yes, this relationship with Sardis, it may be dead, but I can infuse life into it. I am calling you, Sardis, to wake up. I can infuse life into it. He says to Sardis, wake up the same way he said to Lazarus to wake up and just like Lazarus Jesus is saying yes this relationship may be dead but there's nothing that could you can do to bring it to life just like Lazarus there's nothing that Lazarus could have done to get himself out of the grave and Jesus had to call Lazarus to himself and this is why Jesus at the end of this passage he says he who has ear hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The Spirit is calling some of us right now to wake up. John 15, 16, Jesus says, guys, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I'm calling you. First John four nineteen, God says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He's pursuing your heart right now. And we see throughout the gospel, Jesus is the one who pursues us, and he is continuing to pursue us. He's pursuing you even now. He's telling us to wake up. But we have to be honest with ourselves. In order for us to hear God's voice, some of us have to say, man, the passion for God is really not a We have to be honest with ourselves and to admit that I don't have life. I don't have this desire. Religiosity doesn't really give me life. And so Jesus, I need an authentic relationship with you. I want your breath of life in me in order to cause me to come alive. Man. Amen. I want you to see that there's meaning to all that we're doing in church. Jesus didn't die just for your church attendance. He didn't go on a cross to die just for your church attendance. He didn't go on a cross just to die for our religious practices and rituals. He didn't come to die just for that prayer that you prayed when you were 16 or 15, right? If all that we have is the prayer that we prayed once in our lives to accept Jesus, if all that we have is our church attendance and religious rituals and no delight and no affection for Jesus, we don't have Jesus at all. We don't. We don't have life. And so this is why Jesus is saying to Sardis, come alive, be born again. And he tells Sardis, I can awaken your love. I can awaken your passion. I can give you a renewed appetite so that you don't have to keep pursuing after things that would never satisfy you. You can have a new heart that falls out of love with this world, but fall in love with me. I can give you a new desires for God so that you won't have to have desires for relationship to satisfy you because you are in a relationship with the Most High God. I can give you a new identity so that you won't have to look for social media or people to give you affirmation because the affirmation that you have from me is that you are sons and daughters of a king. I can give you a new hope so that you don't have to have hope in money or anything else because you have a loving father who is rich beyond all measures and that he knows all your needs. And I can give you a family so that you don't have to search for where you belong because you have a family here who loves you unconditionally. That is what I have to offer to you. Fall out of love with this world. Oh, in love with me. People of Sardis. Jesus says, I can give you a new life. And you can find the light in me. Verse 4. We see this beautiful promise Jesus makes to Sardis. Jesus says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. And they walk with me in white because they are weary. I love this verse. While most in the church as artists were dead, there were a few people who were faithful to Christ. And when I think about this verse, I think about our church here in Blueprint, and I get excited about that because I get excited about what God is doing in our church. Listen, Blueprint, God is not excited about numbers. The number of people that we have here in the church is not an indicator that this church is alive. The indicator of our church being alive is faithful people. Faithful people. People who are faithfully committing their time, talent, and treasures for the mission of God. People who are faithful in their homes and faithful together. People who are faithful in private life and also in public life. God can do a revival here at our church blueprint with the faithfulness of a few people and he doesn't need to fill the seats. He just needs faithful people. People who are right with God, people who have not defiled their clothes. and then we see in verse three three ways they kept. They're from being defiled. Three ways they remain faithful to God. One, remembering. Remembering daily what God has done. Every day reminding themselves of the work of the gospel. Every day thinking and reminding themselves, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I I need His grace. I need His grace. I need His strength. Every day reminding themselves of the work of the gospel. Without him, I can do nothing. Remember. Two, keeping. Keeping and listening to God's word. Store it in your hearts. Store it in your minds so that you won't sin against him. Don't just read it, but memorize it. Every night, Jess and I, we make an effort to help our kids memorize verses. And then before I drop them off, I have them recite some of those verses. Keep it. Store it every day. Think about it. Don't just read it. Three, repent, constantly washing their souls with confession. This white garment, daily confessing their sins and repenting, turning away from sin and turning to God. Being vigilant to not let sin stain the white garment. Constantly washing it away. So these are the three ways these people are keeping themselves faithful to the Lord. Remember, keep, and repent. And then we see he promises, if we do that, this is what he would do. Jesus says, I will make them an army. Wouldn't you like to be an army for him? I'm going to make them an army walking with me in pure white glory to make myself known in the church in the city in their communities in their family in their lives in the lives of the people and so this is what I think the Lord is trying to do with us